Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you guys, thank you. You guys doing good this morning? Good, good. Well, you look good. It's good to be with you. Um, I, I just wanted to do a quick thank you. you. He thanked me. You guys thanked me. I, I want to thank you. Thanks for being such an outstanding church that I get to partner with. Um, we started attending Clover Hill 2002, my wife and I, who I was just dating at the time. And we used to sit right over here on the front row, Kelsey, like where you're sitting, and uh, on, the, on the side. <clears throat> and uh, over the years, we kind of just got involved. We were a part of things. And before you knew it, we had five kids. Uh, <laughs> My wife loved me to death, what can I say? <laughs> Let's go. Um, and so, uh, you know, five years ago we came on staff and launched the Mosley campus, and we've seen God do what God does, and, you know, when, when we're faithful, He grows stuff, and, uh, and when it's healthy, things grow, and, and so we've, we've, we've committed that campus just as we've committed Bailey Bridge campus to, to following Jesus and to serving Him and to serving Him well, and we've seen the fruit of it, and so thank you guys for investing in us and in our family, and thank you for believing in us and our family, and thank you for loving us, and this certainly, I hope, won't be goodbye. It's just kind of a see you later. Uh, next week will be my last Sunday. I'll be back at Mosley campus next week, and... Um, Anyway, love you, and, and I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for Pastor Stan, Pastor Trevor, uh, the staff. If I start naming names, then I'll forget people. I don't want to go any further than that. But love you guys, and super grateful for y'all, and again, just for believing in us, and some of my best friends on this earth, man, so we're grateful for you guys. Um, and I know he prayed for Memorial Day, uh, people, but if you, if you represent either someone in your family uh, has served or is serving now, or you yourself are retired um, or active duty or, or whatever, if you in, in any way represent anybody in the military, I, I want you to stay seated, but I want you to just raise your hand. Is there anybody in the room like that? Awesome, awesome. How about the rest of us for a change? Can we stand up and thank them? You guys stay seated. We want to stand. Come on, we can do better than that. We want to give you guys honor and appreciation and, and love, and thank you guys for your sacrifice, and I want to echo Pastor Trevor's prayer this morning that we love you guys and we're grateful for you, so thank you so much. And then just one, one more thing, one of, the, one of the hardest parts about leaving an area and leaving a community uh, for us, especially our biblical community, our church, is, is our small group. And uh, I know some of you, you may not be in a small group yet, and I do say yet because you need to be in one. Um, you, you, you will be a better follower of Jesus if you are in one, which will make you a better parent and it'll make you a better spouse. Because if you're a better follower of Jesus, you'll be better at life. And so... No excuses, all right, about small groups. Be a part of it. These are some of the best friends that you'll ever make, some of the best friends that you'll ever have, and, um, and, and they'll be lifelong friends, and they'll be, they'll be God-fearing friends, and they'll be good influences in your life. And so you can go on the website even today. You could do it right now, but I'm not going to encourage you to do it right this second, but you can learn more about small groups. And I just want to encourage you to jump right in. Uh, now's the time, and then they take a little bit of a break over the summer, and they kick back off with like an all-church thing, I believe, is our plan for the fall. And so, man, you got to get in now so that you're in the all-church one in the fall. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. All right, well, let's go. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about knowing where to take our stuff. Like, we have stuff in life. And when I say stuff, I mean issues, problems, concerns, things like that. When we were young, we just took everything to mom, and we just took everything to dad, didn't we? Like when I was little, I didn't know how to tie my necktie. I knew where to take it. I took it to dad. Dad knew how to tie a necktie. And he'd stand behind me and we'd stand in the mirror and he'd do that thing all good. And we only wore it like on Easter Sunday. But you know what? On Easter Sunday when it came around, I didn't remember last Easter Sunday. I had to take it back to dad. 
Or what about when you fell down when you were a kid and you scratched your knee or you bumped your head or whatever and you're bleeding a little bit and if you try to take that to dad, what's dad say? Oh, you're fine. It's merely a flesh wound. Don't sweat it. You'll be okay. All right. You knew where to take that. If you wanted sympathy, if you wanted nurturing, you took that to who? Yeah, you take that to mom. All right. Mom is the one who does that stuff. And even in today, like, you know, cooking, how to cook a turkey or something like that. Like, who do you call? You call your mom. You might call your grandma. You're like, you know where to take that stuff. Your car goes kaboom and, and you don't know what to do with your car. You take it to the shop. You get your car worked on. I had a tax question the other, the other week. I called my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, uh, what do I do in this situation? Said, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm supposed to take it to you. I took it to Google. All right, sometimes you just got to take your stuff to Google. But there, are, but there are some things in life that are bigger than that. All right, there are some things where it's like you face them and you don't know where to take it. You don't know what you're up against. You don't fully understand. You don't fully comprehend um, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do about it. You don't know where to take it. These are the issues. These are the things in life that really cause us pause. And if we're not careful, what we can do is we can, we can begin to suppress these things and bury these things. And they can lead to anxiety and they can lead to depression. They can lead to a lack of trust in God. And so this morning, I don't know what it is that you're going through. Maybe I can stir something up a little bit. Maybe there's something in your, in your marriage that isn't quite perfect. I mean, we're not maybe talking about you being on the verge of divorce, but maybe there's a trial that you're going through together and you just don't know where to take it. You just don't know what to do next. Maybe you have a prodigal son, prodigal daughter who's, who's walked away from the Lord in this season and, and, and you've done everything you can between you and them and you've tried, but you don't know where to go next. You don't know where to take it. Like there's no other expert out there that you can go to. You can't go to Google for stuff like this. You can't take it back to mom for stuff like this. Maybe you have some fear and, and some anxiety about a job, something that's coming up in your life. Uh, uh, maybe there's financial struggles or hardships and man you just don't know where to take this stuff maybe you're a student and you're getting ready to to graduate high school in the next year or two and you don't know what your life looks like next you know do I go into the military do I do a trade do I do I go to a four-year university do I go right into the workforce I don't know where to take this I don't know what to do I don't know where to go well lucky for us fortunately for us the Bible gives us a blueprint on where to take our stuff it tells us exactly where to take it and it tells us why we should take it there. So I'd like to start in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. And I'm in verse 14. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to read this to you. I'm going to read the, there's three verses I'd like to read to you. And then we'll go back and we're going to unpack it a little bit. And what this is going to do is it's going to build a case for why to take our stuff to a certain place. Here we go. Chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then... Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us then, let me do a spoiler alert, let us then take it to Jesus. We don't know where to take our stuff. The Bible is showing us right here. We take it to Jesus. This is the point for this entire message. I want you, when you're facing hardship, when you're facing trial, when you're facing difficulty, I want you to remember, I take it to Jesus. And there's a case for why we take it to Jesus in these prior two verses that we're going to unpack a little bit right now. You guys ready? 
All right, so verse 14, since we have a great high priest. Now, what is a high priest? A high priest back in, the, back in the Old Testament days was the one who could go and atone for sins by sacrificing animals on, our, on, on the people's behalf. And so someone sinned in the, in the camp over the course of the year? Certainly they did. And, and even, the, um, even the high priest, you know, had, had, had sinned. They were human. And so they had to go in and make atonement. They had to go in and sacrifice. They were the only ones who were allowed to do that at that time. And so the Bible says we have a great high priest. No other high priest was ever called great. The Bible also says that no, and, and another, another thing to know about this high priest is that no other high priest passed through the heavens as the scripture tells us that this one does. Another version says ascended into heaven. No other high priest did this. No other high priest was the son of God. No other high priest was the son of God outside of Jesus. No other high priest made a once and for all sacrifice besides the great high priest. And so there's no longer, the reason there's no longer a reason that we need someone to go and and make sacrifice on our behalf is because we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, who died as a sacrifice for once and for all. That is, that's the atonement of Jesus. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so since we have that, we then hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And so let me talk to you a little bit about holding firmly to the faith that you profess. If you're holding firmly to your faith this morning because people invite you to church on a regular basis and that's why you're here and, and that's what your holy relationship is based on, I dare say that, that, that it's not going to stand up in your time of trial. If you're holding firmly because you were brought up in the church, or if people hold firmly because they, they, they're Americans and they think that's the way it's supposed to be, they're not going to be able to sustain that through trial and through difficult times. And when I think about holding firmly, I, I get this picture of a child. Anybody got any kids in here? A couple of y'all do? You ever try to take your kid and put them in the swimming pool? If they can't swim, what do they do to you? They about strangle you, all right? You'll be in the pool and they realize they can't touch the bottom. Man, they wrap their arms around your neck. They wrap their legs around your body. You had no idea that this child was so strong. Like they had never been this strong before. Like when you ask them to get a little bag out of the car at the end of the school day, like the little two-year-old, like, hey, get, hey, buddy, can you get your bag? I can't. I, uh. All of a sudden, you can't get them off of you. You can't push them away. And if somehow they get close enough to the wall, bro, they're starting to pull, do pull-ups up against the wall. You're like, I didn't realize I was raising He-Man. All right, but that's what, that's what I want you to get in your mind when you start thinking about clinging to, holding firm to something. Man, they hold firm to you like that. That's how we can hold firm to our faith. We hold firm to it like a baby holds firm to daddy on the deep end. Or how about anybody who gave their kids a cell phone a little bit too soon? Anybody? Anybody make that mistake like I did? Yeah, 10, 10 and 11-year-olds, all right. So have you ever tried to get a cell phone out of the hand of an 11-year-old girl? Have you tried it? Nearly impossible. They hold firmly to that thing. By the time you get it away, you're like, was there super glue on that? How did you hold so firmly to that thing? It's because they valued it, right? Like they valued it. And so we hold firmly to the faith that we profess because we value our relationship with Jesus. We value the atonement. We value the fact that we have Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest who has gone into the heavens. Therefore, we cling, we hold firm to the faith that we profess, right? All right, now, 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 think about clinging to. Now, I want to talk to students for a second. Any middle schoolers, high schoolers, college age, real quick. Just want you to raise your hand. That's all I'm asking you to do. Real quick, come on. Where you at? Awesome, good. There's several of you here. So, secular education wants to attack your faith. It's not a question about it. It's happening. 
I've been through it. In college, in biology 101, and maybe it's already happening in middle school, I don't know. But, but, but there is a systematic approach to, to, to try to crush people's faith. And so if you're trying to cling to your faith for any other reason than knowing that it's all about Jesus, it's not going to be sustainable. All right, so, but, but when you face these times in your life that will be coming, you will be faced with people who do not believe in God and they will try to tell you lots of different reasons, and they'll try to bring science into it. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to cling to. You have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, cling to your faith. There's no other reason that you have to remember than that. You don't have to have an argument about every scientific thing that they come up with. You have to remember that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you, atoned for you once and for all. He's seated in the heavens. That's all you've got to remember. So you cling to your faith like a baby clings to mama's neck or cling to your faith. You remember back when you were an 11-year-old girl and you had a cell phone, cling to your faith the way you used to cling to your cell phone like that. And, and, and you'll thank me in your days ahead as they approach and your faith gets challenged. Just remember, it's all about Jesus. I don't have to have an answer for every single thing in life. I just need to know I serve Jesus. I just need to know he's seated on the throne and there's nobody who can ever take that away from me. There's nobody who can ever challenge that. Amen. Our entire belief system is based on that. All right, so let's go into verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, which means it's a double negative there. So he does sympathize with our weaknesses, in case you were having a hard time following that. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And we say, how can this be? The reason this is, is because Jesus was God and put on humanity, all right? He wasn't human and put on godliness. He was God and put on humanity, all right? And so because he put on humanity, he can now sympathize. He now has an understanding of what we go through. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. A lot of people have this thought of God as being high and distant and, and, and unapproachable, and we get the idea of apathy when we think of it, all right? So we've got the, 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 the writer here is talking about sympathy, but there are many people who think of God in this apathetic way. And if you look it up and you go back to the history, blah, 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 Greek, whatever, like apathy means freedom from suffering. All right, so the Bible is telling us quite the opposite about our great high priest. They're saying he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, if you go back, sympathize, blah, 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 Greek, whatever, blah, blah, blah. All right, you find out that we get that word and it means he, is a, he literally suffers along with. That's where we get our word from. He suffers along with us. And so when you think about that, you think about, okay, to suffer along with, with someone, you, I can only do that if I've been there. Like, I can't really suffer along with you if I don't know exactly what you're experiencing. For me, that moment, the, the, I think the biggest moment that I think about when I think about, you know, I hadn't been, I hadn't been in a certain situation, so I was probably kind of apathetic toward it, but then having gone through it, I now understand it fully. And it was when our two-year-old Tucker had to be, or he was one maybe at the time, he had to be hospitalized. Uh, because he had like a little infection on his stomach. They tried to do like some antibiotics and stuff like that and nothing really worked. Um, so they ended up having to kind of go in and, and flush him out, clean him out. And um, I mean, there's nothing like being a parent and, and being in the hospital room with your kid and being completely helpless. And so where before, if someone called and said, hey, I got my kid, and I'd be like, oh man, that stinks. You know, it's like, I don't want to be a jerk, but I didn't understand it. I had freedom from suffering. I can't suffer along with you because I don't really know what it is you're going through. All right, but... 
now that I've, 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 been, I've experienced that, I've seen what it looks like to have them wheel my, my baby out of the room. I had to sign papers like we all had to do if you ever have surgery that says if anything goes wrong, it's not our fault. All right, you, you, you feel that pressure, you feel that weight, and yet you know it's for their good, and so you send them out. You send them out. I now can sympathize, I now can suffer along with someone who's gone through that same thing. And so that's what we have in our great high priest. He's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He's able to understand, he's able to, he's able to, to walk alongside us. So it moves, so, so these things, they, they, we, we get out of the framework of apathy and we, and we understand what sympathy means to, to literally to walk alongside you and to suffer along with you. And that's what the Bible says we have in this great high priest. And so what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to build a case we're building a case on why we're taking it to Jesus, right? All right, so next part of that verse is, but, all right, so we don't have one who can't sympathize, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. And so not only can he sympathize with our weaknesses, but he can also sympathize with our temptation. He was tempted in every way, and the Bible says, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. He not only understands our trials in a fallen world, but he also understands temptation. If you're anything like me, I've, I've, I've wrestled with this scripture before. And um, I, so sometimes I've thought, like, how could Jesus actually sympathize and understand temptation when he didn't really sin? But I've learned through study that, that my perspective was wrong. Truly, it's because I have sinned, I could never understand what the ultimate temptation looked like. I could never understand what the sinless one has gone through. Let me explain that a little bit further. When I sin, sometimes I sin at level one. Like, like when the temptation comes, I do the thing I wasn't supposed to do right away. Sometimes I make it to level two. Sometimes I make it to level three. Sometimes I make it all the way up to level nine, maybe. Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> we do the thing. All right? Jesus, on the other hand, understands the full measure of temptation. He understands temptation all the way up to level 10, a level that you and I have never, ever, ever, ever made it up to. He understands the fullest measure of temptation, yet was without sin. And so to think that Jesus doesn't understand temptation because he didn't sin would be a false thinking in our view. He understands it, he, he went through it, and he was obedient to the Father's will all the way through it. And so he understands what it feels like when we're tempted at level one all the way up because he's been there, he's been there. He can sympathize with our temptation. It's also important to know that I don't ever want to, don't ever imagine that because he didn't sin that he can't sympathize because remember that sin is always of a hardening nature. Sin is always of a separating nature. And so he would have lost the perfection of his sympathetic nature had he sinned. If Jesus had sinned, he would, he would not be as sympathetic toward, toward our temptation as if he had sinned. Does that make sense? So because of that, so because we've built this case, so we had this great high priest. Since we had this great high priest who ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Let us then take it to Jesus. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may, so that, why, 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 why? So that, why would we go? Why would we take it to Jesus? So that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in our time of need. Like we, we've gone to all the experts, they couldn't help us. We take it to Jesus so that we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Therefore, if we come with confidence, we're coming with boldness. That's what the Bible is telling us to do. That's what the inspired scriptures are reminding us to do. This isn't my words trying to convince you of something. This is the inspired word of God saying that God wants us to approach him with confidence. Boldly does not mean arrogantly or proudly. It means we come constantly, knowing that God does not grow weary of us. Boldly means we come without reservation. You don't have to be afraid. Boldly means we come freely without fancy words. Just talk like you talk. Boldly means we come with confidence, but with an attitude that says, I know that my God is faithful. And so when this is our habit, when we come boldly, it's wild how it builds our faith and causes us to take, take our stuff to Jesus sooner the next time. The next time something comes up, we take it to Jesus sooner. We go more often. We go, we go more frequently. When we go with more fervor than ever before. Um, another Tucker illustration, if you don't mind. So, uh, so a few years ago, he was trick-or-treating for the very first time. We took him out. And uh, he had never been before. And if you've ever been, if you remember being a small child, I don't because I wasn't allowed to go trick-or-treating when I was little. And I, Okay, that's nothing. We'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, that's, that's just my own issue. That's my own struggle that I'm still, I haven't forgiven my parents for. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so the very first time he went trick-or-treating, there was like this, um, this, this little bit of fear, right? A little bit of unknown. Like, wait a second. Like, I'm supposed to like walk up to someone else's door which normally I'm never allowed to do that. But tonight, at, and when it's dark, that's okay. There's, <laughs> there's spooky things everywhere. All right, there's little noises. There's ghouls and goblins and things. There's fake spiders and spider webs all over the place. And there's a guy with a pumpkin on his head that I'm not sure if he's a real person in a costume or if he's something that's just gonna jump out at me. But either way, I'm a little concerned. No, pal, it's fine. Just get on up there. You'll be okay. And so... You know, it's fun. So, but, but they go up and they, and, they, and they do the little thing. They knock on the door. And what happens? Someone drops a little something in their bag. They get a little something for their effort, for their work. The first time, oh, that was good. I wasn't even looking for that. Oh, 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 that's what you're saying all too. <laughs> yeah, that was Tucker. Um, yeah, so, so, but his confidence began, he, so his confidence began to grow. And so, like, so he's like, okay, well, that was interesting. So the next time he goes to the next house, the same thing happens. And we're kind of standing back, just kind of watching him as he's gauging, like, as he's beginning to understand. And this is a kid, like, if you are having a birthday party, you want to invite him. Like, he, like he loves parties. It doesn't even have to be his. Like, any holiday, any party, he just, he just loves them. And so he, when he began to understand, like, what this whole trick-or-treating thing was all about, he was all in. So before you know it, he's, like, sprinting back down driveways, sprinting down the sidewalk, sprinting up the next driveway, or cutting across yards. He's gleefully and joyfully running to these houses because he knows when he gets there, he's going to get something good. All right, I use that illustration to say to you that God wants us to approach the throne of grace in a similar way. He wants us to understand where our help comes from. He wants us to go boldly. He wants us to go confidently, not with arrogance, but knowing that when we go, we're going to receive mercy and we're going to receive grace because he's faithful. And so every time that we approach the throne of God, we understand that the throne of God is a throne of grace. And so every time we go, we understand we're going to get something from God. And so if you've been wondering with where to take your stuff to, I want to remind you this morning through the scriptures 
that approach the throne of God to take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. What are you going through this morning? I want you to take it to Jesus. Go boldly. Go quickly. Go confidently. Go without reservation. Go without fear that because you've already been 800 times before about this one issue that I shouldn't go again. Go again. Go to the Lord on behalf of your family. Go to the Lord on behalf of your friends. Pursue the Lord. Take it to Jesus. Whatever you're facing, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. And Satan tries to discourage us from doing this, doesn't he? He wants us to think that Jesus is unapproachable, first off. But we've learned through Scripture this morning that he's not. This is what he's called us to do. He also wants us to think that, that Jesus is powerless to help. Like, you could take this to Jesus, but what's the point? Like, you've, like you're, you've put in the effort. You've made the calls. You've done what you're supposed to do. Like, like there's, there's no point in this. All right, he wants to crush your faith. He wants to keep it down. He wants to push it, push it away and, and keep it out of the forefront of your mind. But you have an opportunity to, to push that aside, to say, you know what? Every pretension, every lie from the enemy that sets itself up against the mind of Christ, I cast it down and I do not choose to accept that. And so because I've been encouraged today, because I'm understanding what it means to have faith, to follow the Lord, to have a great high priest, because I have a great high priest, I can now approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing where my help comes from to receive mercy and grace in my time of need. Man, I'm just going to take it to Jesus. Why would I not just take it to Jesus? And maybe by now you're beginning to understand that, wait a second, is this just a message about prayer? Basically, yeah. Basically it is. It's a message about prayer. But if you're anything like me, sometimes you struggle just the vocabulary word of prayer, like you, like you have it in your mind a way it's supposed, a certain way that it's supposed to look like. Like, we, haven't we made it more formal? Like, don't, haven't we formalized prayer? Sometimes, don't we say, it's more about me and what I have to say in the way that I say it? And when I think about just taking something to Jesus, it, it, it just helps me frame for me personally. May not, this may not help you at all. I pray it does, because I spend a lot of time working on it, all right? But, 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 it, but it's a mindset shift, all right? It's not about having the right words. It's not about being fancy. Man, it's just about taking your needs to Jesus. There's no other great high priest that you can go to. There's no one else who can understand. There's no other expert out there. So why wouldn't I want to take it to Jesus? And we have a few illustrations from Scripture of some people who took some stuff to Jesus. All right? The first one that I want to share with you is out of John chapter 6. You guys remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? You guys remember that? Yeah, a little story. All right? So, so what happened was Jesus was like, Man, he was just healing everybody, and, and great crowds were gathering all around him, and people were just amazed by, by the way he was able to teach and by his power and all that stuff. And, uh, and the Bible says that he approached kind of like a, a hill or whatever, kind of a mountain, he was sitting on the face of the mountain, and he had gone across a little body of water, and so it was taking the, the people a little bit of time to kind of make their way over to him, because they were still following him around. And, um, and, and, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, how are we going to feed all these people? And it was kind of like, the Bible says he was actually, actually testing Philip. It was Philip that he asked. He was testing him. And, uh, you know, where are we going to get enough money to feed all these people? And, and the Bible says that, that, he already, that Jesus already had in his mind what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do, but he was testing. He was, he was looking to see what Philip was going to say. And Philip was like, Lord, there's not enough money to feed all of these people among us. So I'm not exactly sure what you want us to do. And then the Bible says that Andrew comes, like, out of nowhere with this little boy, all right? And I kind of imagine him, like, kind of bringing him up. Like, he found the one kid who's got a teeny bit of food in the whole camp, and he's like, hey, this little fellow's got some food. He brings him up by the back of his neck, and he's got five pieces of bread and two fish, all right? Andrew, doesn't he sound like the cafeteria bully, like he's getting ready to steal this little boy's food? Like, hey, little boy, we're going to take this to Jesus and see what happens. And he's like, I don't want to take it to Jesus. Go find your own fish and your own bread. But they do it anyway. 
And what happens? Jesus blesses it, he begins to break it, and there's enough to feed everyone. But the thing I want you to remember is that leading up to this moment, he said he already had in mind what he was going to do. What was he waiting on? He was just waiting on somebody to take it to Jesus. All he wanted them to do was take it to him. He already knew what he was going to do. And so, for what, so what is it in your life, what are you facing today, where you're like, man, I just need to take this to Jesus If I use this illustration, if I understand the heart of God that he's for me and not against me, then I know that that he's already got in mind what this is going to look like. He already has in mind what he wants wants for me through this. Why don't I just take it to him? And I think that's an outstanding illustration of us just seeing people literally take stuff to Jesus. And I know maybe you're saying Jesus isn't here right now for me to take stuff to in the flesh. And we're going to get there in a second. But let me show you another illustration. This one is in Luke chapter 5. All right, this is a story of a lame man who had some good friends. All right, Jesus is teaching in a house and healing in a house. The, the Bible says the power of God fell upon him to, to, uh, to, to, to heal. And people are finding out about it. And so some guys brought their buddy who was paralyzed to Jesus to be healed. But because there were so many people gathered around the home, they weren't able to get this guy in. Now, you would think to yourself, wouldn't they make some room for the guy? Like, they can't they see what's going on here? But people were so desperate. They were taking everything to Jesus. They were so desperate because they knew if they did it, they would obtain mercy and grace. And so everybody wanted a part of Jesus. Well, these guys would not be denied. They climb up onto the roof somehow with this guy. I mean, I imagine them kind of pulling him up with a rope, getting him up there. All right. Then they dig out this dude's roof. <laughs> Or can you imagine you're sitting at home with Jesus hanging out watching TV and someone suddenly just busts through your ceiling like Mission Impossible style? You guys remember that movie when Tom Cruise fell through and like almost hit the floor? Like I, can, I see that happening in the room where Jesus is and, and, and he falls in there. He falls almost to the ground and, he, and, the, and the rope catches him and he's like laying there. And, the, and then Jesus is like, whoa, your faith, I, I, because of your faith, I'm going to forgive your sins. And then everybody's like, wait a second, Jesus, you don't have the authority to forgive sins. Who do you think you are? You think you're God. That's what the Pharisees are saying. And then Jesus goes on to say, just to show you that I do have the power to forgive sins, what would you do if I said, lame man, why don't you get up and walk? And so he does it. He says, God, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and starts rejoicing and starts praising the Lord. I say that to say this. Maybe you're doing just fine. Maybe you're doing okay this morning. Maybe you don't have any needs. Maybe there's nothing pressing in your life. But I guarantee you, if you know more than five people on this earth, that you know, then you know somebody who's facing something. What would it look like if you started taking your friend to Jesus? What would it look like if you put them on a gurney, spiritually speaking? What would it look like if you started going to the the throne of God because the throne of God is a throne of grace? What if you started interceding in prayer for these people? What if just because you're doing good doesn't mean that we don't still have a responsibility to our friends and the people that we love? What if we go to Jesus on their behalf? What if we take them to Jesus, spiritually speaking? What if we remind Jesus of their name? What if we call out on behalf of these friends? That's what a friend would do. And that's what these friends were doing. They took their friend to Jesus. And so regardless of whether you don't have enough, like in the, like in the case of the first illustration with the fish and the loaves, or whether you're doing great and you have somebody else who's in need, we can all go to Jesus. We can all take something to Jesus. And then I'm also reminded of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. You guys remember him? There was two of them. So Jesus has gone through all this shame and all this scorn, and he's been beaten with, and, they, and finally they, they put him up on the cross. And, and, uh, and, and there's some conversation that's happening between, the, between Jesus, Jesus and, the, and the thieves. 
And, and one of the thieves says, hey, if you are really the son of God, why don't you um, call out to God and save yourself? And he also says, and save us too. Like he's, like he's looking for something, to, for something to this. But he's mocking is what he's doing. And the other thief recognizes what he's doing. And he says, hold up, bro. Aren't we getting what we deserve? Aren't we getting? We know we've been evil. But this man has done nothing wrong. He has not sinned. Jesus looks at this, sees the faith of this one thief, looks at this confession that he's just made. The thief then says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turns back to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So do you remember what he said? He said, he said we don't deserve. That's what the thief said to the other thief. We don't deserve. But the throne of God is a throne of grace where we receive mercy. And so mercy is getting something or is not getting something you do deserve. That's mercy. Not getting something you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And so Jesus seeing the faith, this guy taking his sin in essence to Jesus, Jesus then responds to it. And so this morning, I don't know exactly what you're facing. I don't know if it's a sin issue that you need to take to Jesus. I don't know if it's some friends and some family that you need to take to Jesus. I don't know if you're, if you're struggling with the decision of, of not having enough and you need to take it to Jesus. But I want you to understand and I want you to have the confidence. The whole reason that we cling to the faith that we have, the whole reason that we get to go to this throne is because we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, we cling to our faith. We do not have a high priest who, can, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet did not sin. Let us then take it to Jesus. Let us then approach the throne of grace, the throne of God, with confidence, knowing that we'll receive help in our time of need. That's the encouragement this morning. Take it to Jesus, whatever it is that you're facing. Maybe you're here today and you're like, your, your, your marriage is, is, is not where it should be, and you need to take it to Jesus. Man, husband, I encourage you to take your wife by the hand right now. Begin taking it to Jesus. Take her to Jesus. Take your marriage to Jesus. Take your kids to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're worried or concerned that your kids aren't following the Lord. Take, begin to take them to Jesus. It doesn't have to sound a certain way. You don't have to talk in King James. You just have a desperation like these people did, and you begin to take your needs to Jesus. There's a passage in the Bible that, and I can't remember where it is. I think It's somewhere in Luke, I think. You can look it up later. <laughs> You can Google it. But, uh, but, but, but it says, um, do not be afraid, for it pleases the Father to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little lambs. Like, don't you see the tenderness of God in that? Don't be afraid, little lamb. Don't be afraid, little one, little child. It pleases the Father to give you the kingdom. If it pleases the Father to to give us the kingdom, then why wouldn't we want to approach him? Why wouldn't we want to come gleefully and joyfully approaching the throne of God, which is a throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need? I'm praying that, that your faith is being stirred this morning, that in every situation, you just take it to Jesus. You don't overthink it in a way that I've got to pray a certain way, I've got to sound a certain way. Husbands and wives, I know sometimes it's hard for us to kind of pray out loud together. It's because we're caught up with the way that we sound. But if we, if we begin to have this desperation like the friends did who took their paralyzed buddy into the house or through the house, if we begin to have that desperation, there's nothing that's going to stop us. And we have a great high priest like no other. And so that's my encouragement for you this morning. 
If you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? And we're going to go back into, into a, a, a song, a time of worship, just one more song to close this out. And just as you're, as you're there, though, maybe there are some here this morning who you're kind of, maybe, maybe you can associate with that thief. Maybe you're like, bro, I ain't ever given my life to Christ. I've never, I don't even understand what that was all about until you just kind of sort of explained it a minute ago. Maybe there's some in this room today who you don't fully understand faith, but you sense something stirring within you. Maybe there's something in your heart right now that's saying you need this Jesus that he's referring to. You need this great high priest that he's referring to. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin, of your need for forgiveness. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a high priest that has to go back and make atonement for us anymore. This is a once and for all for your past, your present, and your future sin. As you continue to submit to Jesus, he wants to forgive you and he wants to set you on a new path. Maybe you're here today and you're currently separated from God. This gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, of his atonement, of his death, and then his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. This is good news to us because it's a gospel. It's a good news of reconciliation. Because we were in the Garden of Eden. We were once with God in perfect unity. But sin separated, and Jesus was the answer. That's this great high priest that we speak of. And so with your eyes closed, maybe this morning you're in that position, and you're like, I need, I need that. I need the great high priest this son of God, this Jesus that you speak of, and then I need to cling to that faith. And I think that's awesome. And I would pray something like this. You don't have to do it in unison or anything, but I would just, if that's you this morning, I would just pray, Lord, I, Lord Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. Stir faith in my heart. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I know that I've sinned. I know there's wickedness within me. And I repent of that. By the power of your Holy Spirit, the advocate, the one that you said would be better than you to have, by that power, I pray you'd help me to walk in unity with God. And I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you pray that prayer this morning, the Bible says that you are guaranteed a place in heaven but it's not the end it's just the beginning and we'll share some more steps with you at the end of service today but about what to do next and I've already talked about small groups that would be a great place to start but for those of us who are already followers of the Lord and you're here battling and you're here struggling and you didn't know what to do or you did know what to do but you just needed the encouragement to do it I want us to over the next few moments as we sing and as we worship God I give you permission to not sing the lyrics on the screen if you're taking something to Jesus. If you want to spend a few moments in prayer, the altars are, are open. No one will come up and ask you what's wrong with you. No one's going to assume anything about you. This is for you to take to Jesus. The reason, I meant to say this earlier, the reason that we don't, Jesus told us it would be better for us if he goes. And so you know how, we, how the old guy, in the old days, they were able to literally take stuff to Jesus when he was on the earth. But when Jesus left, in Acts chapter 2, he sent his advocate. He sent his Holy Spirit. And now we get to approach, we all get to approach Jesus instantly whenever we want, whenever we desire. And so we don't have to find Jesus sitting somewhere on a stoop or on a mountainside. We can literally approach the throne now. And so this morning, that's why I'm encouraging you to do that. You can do it right where you are. 
You can do it on your car on your way home if you want. But right now, when the Spirit of God is speaking to you, and as we sing this song, I want you to give Him your focus, give Him your affections, give Him your heart. Bring Him every need that you have. In Jesus' name, 